Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Alvin. For those of you who are here for the first time, I serve as lead pastor here at the church. Really glad you're with us today. We are starting a new month, November. We are in November. The year is already coming to a close, which is hard to believe. But it's been a good year. It's been a good year. Um, the new series, we are talking about, uh, well, before I get into it, I do want to thank everyone who's, who's made Nashville Life Church what it is this past year. For those of you who, whether you serve on team, if you give, if you attend, if you watch online, thank you for, for contributing to this year at our church. And my prayer is that everybody has experienced growth this year. That's the intent of what we do here at Nashville Life. We want to take all of you on a spiritual journey of greater growth, of, of glorifying God more than you have before in the past. And we just want to see that progression for your life. And that's what we work to do. Our vision here at Nashville Life is following Jesus and building leaders. And that's, that's why we exist. That's the purpose of Nashville Life. That's what we are committed to. And we do it via four steps. We want to help everybody who's involved with Nashville Life to know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and to make a difference. And that last part, make a difference, that last step is what we're going to focus on for the month of November. Uh, making a difference is a part of our purpose as believers. I believe it's why the Lord saved us, not just for us to get into heaven, but for us to make an eternal di difference on the lives of those that we encounter on this earth. Uh, I believe there's a divine purpose for everybody that's here, and I believe it's way more impactful than any of us even realize. My prayer is that today's message can be uh, a part of the effort of opening your eyes to just how, how large and massive uh, a calling that you have on your life. Uh, there's a scripture that is in John chapter 15, and Jesus shares this in verse 8. And then I'm going to tag verse 11 on afterward because it really does show how when you make a difference, all parties benefit. Not only does it glorify God, which makes him happy, but it actually causes you to find fulfillment, which makes you happy. And then it blesses those that you are being a help to, making them happy. So really everybody walks away happy but the devil. Only person that's not happy is the devil. And when he's not happy, we're doing our job. So uh, John 15, verse 8 and verse 11 says, Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Now, you see this phrase a lot in the New Testament about bearing fruit. And I want us to really consider the metaphor. Uh, when you think of a tree that bears fruit, a tree doesn't eat its own fruit. Right? Trees bear fruit so people like you and me can come to it and pick the fruit off of it and enjoy the delicious fruit. So whenever God is calling us to bear fruit, remember that that's always connected to the blessing that we are to other people. Are there other people benefiting from your life? And that's how we measure if we're bearing fruit. Not, not on how happy we are and how much success we think we've achieved, but are there people who are benefiting and being blessed 
through my life. That's the most accurate way that you can measure if you're bearing fruit. And we see in this scripture, Jesus isn't just telling us to bear fruit. He says that we should be bearing much fruit. And he says that this is how we show that we are his disciples. The next part says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So this is really a recipe for joy. Real joy doesn't really come from how much money you make. It doesn't come from how much pleasure that you can experience. It doesn't come from all the possessions. I believe that true joy comes from knowing that your life is productive and that you're making an eternal difference on the world around you. Another way to say this is the word legacy. You'll hear this word here at Nashville Life, legacy. And legacy is really a long-lasting effect that you can make on a person or something. Uh, when something has legacy, it, it, it's long-lasting. And as Christians, we are called to be uh, eternally minded. So for the Christian, I believe legacy is making a difference that actually can outlive your life. And that can transcend your experience and your life on earth. And legacy is a difference that's made for eternity. I believe that we actually have the ability to make a difference on people's lives that changes their eternity, that gives them a whole new identity in Christ. There's a great legacy scripture that I used to use all the time earlier when I was preaching. I feel like either... If it wasn't all my messages, every other message started with this scripture. And I probably made the church a little annoyed by it, but I was really just trying to impart an identity and a mindset that I think God is trying to give to us through this scripture. And that's in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 through 3. And this is what God is saying to a man named Abraham. He singles out one individual. His name is Abraham, and this is what God said to him. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the reason why I read this scripture is because though in this context it's spoken to a man named Abraham, I actually believe that this is God's word to each of us individually. I believe even though your name is not Abraham, and if it is, you're not the Abraham that he's talking to in Genesis 12, this is still for you. And I have proof. In Galatians chapter 3, in Galatians chapter 3 verse 14, this is what it says. It says, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing. Can everyone say same blessing? Same. The same blessing he promised to Abraham. So even though you weren't the individual he was speaking to in this instance in Genesis 12, he is speaking this word to you through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Through Christ, you have received the same blessing that God gave to Abraham in this passage. This is really a, a great concept, and it's, the concept is, Abraham, I'm going to lavish you with way more blessings than you need for your life. 
so that your cup can run over and you can become a source of blessing, not just for other people, but Abraham, I'm going to give you so much blessing that you're going to be able to be a blessing to all the peoples on earth. Now, that's epic, and I know that might sound a bit more extravagant than you think of your life, but this is what God does. He brings us into a greater reality of who we are, and he causes us and challenges us to think more about our lives and more about our value than we thought originally. He did it with Abraham, and he's doing it with some of you today. My prayer is he does it with all of us today. God has a purpose for those who are blessed on this earth. There is a purpose for those who are blessed with more than enough. There's a purpose and a command and a role that the rich are called to play in the kingdom of God. And there's a, there's a command that God gives to the rich, the rich who are in the body of Christ. There is a command that God gives to, to them. Um, and it's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. And this is Apostle Paul who's writing to this young pastor named Timothy. And he says, Timothy, this is what I want you to tell your congregation. And this is what he has written for them. In verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So there you go right there. I don't want anyone to feel guilty for enjoying the blessings of your life. God says it right here. I mean, the word says it right here. It's meant to be enjoyed, but there's more. There's more. So we're all for guilt-free blessings. If it comes from God, don't feel guilty. Enjoy it. However, know that there's more purpose to just your enjoyment. Command them. This is the next part. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. So if you're rich in material wealth, the Lord is calling you to also be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So you see that legacy language even laced within here. He's talking about the coming age. People of legacy are always thinking about what's to come. Am I living my life now for what's to come? Or am I forfeiting my future for right now? Am I investing now for what's to come? The coming age when Jesus comes back. The coming age for generations after I'm gone. The coming age that is not currently here. Am I living with the future in mind? Am I living with eternity in mind? This is what he's challenging the rich to do. So it's a very clear command. I think it's a very doable command, but this scripture is sometimes tricky, not because the command is tricky. I actually think it's very simple. I think it's very clear, but it's tricky because rich people can be tricky. Most rich people don't know how to be rich, and it's not because they're not smart. It's not because they're not educated, they're not sharp, they're not intelligent. But most rich people don't 
like to think of themselves as being rich. Most rich people live in denial a lot of times. They, it's uncomfortable for them to really own that they are rich. There was a, a Gallup poll that was collected a few years back, and it asked a lot of people what they believe their salary, what is the salary of a rich person? And the average response was like, I think, $150,000 a year. And most people's response said, if you're making that much, then you are rich. So then they went to people who made that much money. They went to people who made $150,000 a year and said, are you rich? And all of them said, no, I'm not rich. I'm not rich at all. And they asked, well, who is rich? And they threw out another number of what those, that, if you're making that much, then you're rich. So they went to those people who were making that much money, and they did the same thing. They said, no, we're not rich, but they all had an idea of who was rich. So the takeaway from the experiment was nobody is rich, but everyone knows someone who is. Nobody is rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. And I, I don't know, I think there's a lot attached to it, but it's almost like hot potato. Like everyone who's called rich wants to throw that potato to somebody else. And there's, it's, there's this moving target of what wealth is. And I don't know if it's modesty. I don't know if it's what. But I, I, don't think, I think underneath of it, underneath it, there is a relinquishing and an abandonment of the responsibility of the rich. Because as long as you're not rich, you're not accountable to God's command to the rich. As long as you're not rich, the word that God gives to the rich doesn't apply to you. So it ends up being this subtle uh, negligence of a responsibility and an expectation that comes with being rich. I want to give you guys some perspective. Uh, and I did this recently. I did this last night because it can change sometimes. And I want to make sure it was accurate. But I checked, and if a household is bringing in $40,000 a year, they are in the top two percentile of wage earners in the entire world. 40 grand. I think 60 grand puts you in the top 1%, which means if you make 40 grand, you are making more than 98% of the people in our world. Just a little perspective giver. Because I actually believe that all of us are more rich than we realize. Let me give you another one. Another one. A good way to see if you are rich or not is if you have what we'll call rich people problems. So I got a couple of examples. And I got this from Pastor Chris Hodges, so don't get mad at me. But he says if, if, you're, in, if you're in an Apple store, which I really could just put a period there. If you're in an Apple store. But I won't. There's more. If you're in an Apple store and you're in line for the new iPhone, right? And the line is long and it's making you late for your next appointment. So you pull out your current iPhone to text someone about how long the line is and it's making you late for your next appointment. You might have rich people problems. Another one, and I just I don't want the ladies to come at me too hard with this. But if you open up a closet full of clothes and you allow yourself to utter those famous words that I have nothing to wear, you might have rich people problems. And I'm not telling you that to guilt anybody. This is not about guilt. 
God, want, God doesn't want us guilty, but he wants us responsible. And again, as long as none of us are willing to admit that we're rich, none of us are willing to live up to the responsibilities and the expectation that God holds to the rich. And my, the reason why I'm wanting to open our eyes and make us all reconsider what our status actually is is because I don't want that day to come where you're standing before Jesus and you are praying and hoping that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you bring to him what you thought was expected of you and then realize in that moment that he was expecting so much more from you based on what he's given you. And the crime and the misfortune, I should say, the misfortune of underestimating just how rich and blessed you are is you will also subsequently underestimate how much is required of your life. And it's best for us to have that realization now that on that day when we are standing in front of Jesus and found out that we way undershot what was actually required of us. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. This is what Jesus says. He says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Y'all, these sort of scriptures have redefined how I look at people with a lot. I don't envy people who have more than me. I don't envy people who are better teachers than me, who are more talented than me. I don't envy people with bigger churches than me because I know this scripture. And if they've been given more, more is required of them. So I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. But then I had to correct myself because that's not a good mindset either because the more you have, the more blessing you can be. So I had to rebuke myself. And I rebuke you too if that's how you think. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11 says you will be made rich in every way so, so that you can be generous on every occasion. I really want to destroy the stigma about abundance and, and wealth within the body of Christ. I don't believe it's from God. I believe it's false humility. Because, yes, I believe that God has more for us. I believe that he wants us to have more. But I also believe that we cannot forget what the more is for. The reason why God caked on so much blessing on Abraham wasn't just because he wanted Abraham to just be dripping with blessings. He was also giving Abraham the sole responsibility of being a blessing to the entire world. I really want us to rethink how we see privilege, how we see wealth, how we see material blessings, because with every blessing comes an additional responsibility. Another way that helps us make sense of this is uh, the, the principle of the firstborn. I'm going to call it the responsibility of the firstborn. In the Old Testament, it was tradition that the firstborn son received a double portion of what all the other siblings were given by the father. We see this in Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21 verse 17 says he must acknowledge the son as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. That son is the first sign of the father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. 
So imagine if there's a certain amount that the father has delegated for all the sons. He doubles that amount and gives it to his firstborn. And we have to be careful with our limited thinking, with our carnal thinking, because a lot of people push back on that concept and say that's an act of favoritism. Some would even say that that's not fair. That's not fair that just because he's the oldest, he gets the most. And people who think like that are working with a limited amount of thinking. You're not seeing the full picture. You're just looking at the extra and going, and you're just, before you even stop to realize the why, you start making judgments and saying that God's not fair and that this is an act of injustice and we should all have the same, but you're missing an important detail. In addition to the tradition of the firstborn receiving double portion, the firstborn was also held responsible. If something happened to the father, for whatever reason, if the father passed away, it was the firstborn's responsibility to take care of the estate, to take care of the household, and to take care of everybody in the family. So when you see that missing information, all of a sudden what we saw as an unfair act of privilege ends up being seen as just a practical provision for a position, for a pressure, and for a responsibility that only came with the firstborn. When you put it in that term, you go, well, no wonder he gets more because he's responsible for more. The reason why I'm giving you guys this concept because Hebrews 12, 23 says that the body of Christ, we are the church of the firstborn. The body of Christ, we are the, the Bible describes us as the church of the firstborn. We have a firstborn blessing on our lives as Christians. We have a firstborn blessing. We get more. There's greater favor. There's greater grace. There's greater mercy. There's greater provision. The Lord gives us the keys to the kingdom. He doesn't give that to anybody else. He gives us mysteries that unlock things that nobody else can understand. He gives us revelation that he doesn't give anybody else. He gives us the secret to multiplication. He teaches us how to have more blessing than we have room enough to receive. He's not teaching that to anybody else. And if ever you realize or ever stop to realize or think, why are we given such special treatment because with all the special blessings that we receive in Christ comes a special responsibility the reason why the Lord lavishes us with the grace and with the provision and with the all the things that he gives us that he doesn't give to the rest of the world is because he's expecting us things that he's expecting from us things that he's not expecting from the rest of the world it's the church that's called to be the light of the world. It's the church that's called to be the salt. We are called to be the head and not the tail. We are called to be the lenders and not the borrowers. All these things are in Scripture. All of these things are responsibilities and expectations that God has on us as the redeemed people, as the forgiven people. We are the ones who are called to forgive 70 times 7 when someone wrongs us. We are the ones called to raise the dead. We are the one called to clothe those who are naked. We are the ones called to feed those who are hungry. We are the ones called to give shelter to those who don't have. So it's no wonder that we've been given more. Not because God's playing favorites. God needs a people that will work on his behalf. So he makes sure that we have more than enough resources to fulfill our calling as his firstborn. It makes a difference when you think of the responsibility attached to it, doesn't it? It, it? it almost makes you rethink how you see rich people. 
or hopefully how you see yourself. Because all of us are more rich than we care to admit. We're much better at seeing the blessings that other people have than we are of ourselves. We'll tell you who's rich. All those examples, they, they, were, they were totally fine with telling the survey who was rich. They just said it wasn't me. I can tell you how much that person has going for them way better than I can tell you what I've got going for me. And that's just human nature, but we've got to squash that thing. We've got to crucify it because it's, it's causing us to be uh, negligent of a divine, not only blessing, but an expectation that we're all, if you claim Christ, all of us are going to have to answer for it when we see Jesus. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to bring you to reality that, that the Lord is holding us accountable to what we have. So the prayer is, first off, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to see how blessed I am. Forgive me for being blind to how much you've given me. Forgive me for not seeing how blessed I am and seeing how rich I am compared to... Forgive me, Father, because I know that in my blindness to how blessed I am, I've been blind to how much is expected of me. One more thing to add some perspective. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 through 17 this is this brings a whole other thing to it. It could actually well yeah, let's let's read it. Let's read it. Luke not Luke. Look. <laughs> Luke after one another. Look at look after each other. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out, the Bible says that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. It says, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, the Bible says, even though he begged with bitter tears. Guys, this is a word of warning to the body of Christ. This is a New Testament scripture that's urging and warning Christians to not fall in the same sin and the same mistake as Esau. For those of you who don't know, Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac. And he was given, according to tradition, according to the law, a double portion of blessing and also a responsibility. But Esau was presented a choice by his brother to either get a meal. He was hungry. He had been out, been out all day and he was hungry and he wanted some food. And the offer was, I'll trade you this bowl of soup for your birthright. And Esau was so hungry that he actually agreed for that trade. And he forfeited his blessings and his responsibility as the firstborn for one meal to satisfy his hunger that he had in that moment. 
The Bible forever calls Esau immoral and godless. And it wasn't because he was murdering people. It wasn't because he was lying and stealing money. It wasn't because he was committing adultery and doing all these lustful acts. He earned the title of immoral and godless because he traded his birthright for an immediate need of hunger. The reason why this is in here is because it's the body of Christ. We have to make sure that we don't forfeit and give away that double portion blessing and that responsibility as God's elect, as God's chosen, as God's favored, as God's ambassadors in exchange for having our immediate desires and our immediate needs met. It happens more than I care to admit. We let the needs and desires of right now cause us to give up the future that the Lord is calling us to. And this Bible says for us all to look after each other so that no one falls into the same mistake. So what's the answer? If we're rich, which the Bible is making, us, making it clear that we are. I believe the Bible makes it clear and I believe statistics show too that all of us are way more rich than we realize. We all have more than enough than we need if we're honest. But along with being rich, which is not a sin, by the way, I believe it's actually a calling. God gave a purpose to rich people. He tells them to make sure that they're also rich in good deeds. As a church, we try to make sure that we're providing opportunities for you to be rich in good deeds. I appreciate the patience of those who've been with us for years. We're trying to get better. We want to continue to provide opportunities to help you all be rich people who are rich in good deeds. Because that's the calling for us, to share what we've been given. I saw a statistic that said, and I don't believe this applies to Nashville life, but I want us to hear it just so we can know the culture that we're in. In America, the more a person makes, the less they give. The percentage of what they give according to what they make goes down the more they make. And I want to tell you how this happens. A lot of people have like an arbitrary number of what they think is enough. So the more they give, they don't let the percentage increase. They just make, they, they cap it. And because they cap it with this number that that's, that's enough. And the more God increases and gives them, the, the, the giving percentage goes down. That's what studies have shown in our country. Now, I, don't, I haven't seen that reflected in Nashville life. The more we've grown, the more I've seen our giving grow. This, I believe this church is generous. But I believe the Lord is, is, is encouraging us to continue to be good stewards of what we've been blessed with and own up to our position as sources of blessings for this world. I believe the resources of the body of Christ should be the blessings for the world. I believe the blessings that are in the body of Christ should become blessings to the world.
Now, there's some very practical ways you can practice being, uh, doing good deeds, being rich in good deeds. But I'm going to focus on one because I think it's applicable to everybody here at this church. I don't want anyone to underestimate the, the power of inviting people to the presence of God. When people are here at church, it's more than just being inside the building. The faith that's in this room, the love and the passion that's in this room, it's, it's an experience. People experience God through the Christ that lives in so many of you. And I want you guys to understand that as simple as it might feel to invite someone, that's a, that's a supernatural opportunity. I can't tell you how many people came here thinking they were just fulfilling a request from a friend and end up becoming healed of diseases and, and being restored emotionally and being changed and having dark spirits leave them. Like we, Our church is full of those stories of people simply because they came into the room. There have been people who have been healed of terminal diseases simply during the worship, before the message even started. I mean, the presence, I'm telling you, I'm not making this stuff up. These things have happened even in our short 12 years. It's the power of God's presence. It's the power of the saints. It's the power of the faith that lives inside of people. So, so invite people. We've got some things coming. Sunday services, that's, that, we have that every Sunday. Three services. Saturday mornings at 9. It's not on the screen. Oh, it is on the screen. We have Saturday morning prayer. It's a miraculous time. Invite people. We have two serve days before the end of the year. November 18th. Text serve NL to find out how you can get involved. Y'all, these are opportunities for you to enrich your deeds. Good deeds. We're called to be rich in good deeds. Christmas Eve service. 7 p.m. We'll be here. That's just, that's just a few things before the end of the year. And the last thing I want to invite you to is on December 10th, we have our, we're calling it legacy offering this year. The past few years, we've called it our zeal for the house offering. But this year, it's legacy. And the reason why is because legacy's a, a, a new stream that we've started. And legacy is, is dedicated to acts and projects that are meant to outlive all of us. So whether that's property and buildings and additional campuses and locations, whether that's mission work, helping build churches in, in foreign countries and, and helping organizations that are feeding children, and then our next generation, which is our children and our youth, these are the people that literally, Lord willing, will be living on this earth after we're gone. Not to be morbid, but that's just how, that's, that's, it, that's it. The children are our future. So everything that is given to legacy is given to blessings that are meant to go beyond all of us. So everyone, thank you, everyone gives their tithes and their offerings. But on December 10th, this legacy offering is actually uh, something that I'm praying for you guys to think about over the next five weeks. And on December 10th, come and bring that legacy offering. And we will use it for those three areas. Next generation missions and, and, and building properties and 
things that will outlive us and bless the kingdom of God and bless this city and bless the world. So be thinking about that. I want to end just offering help. I know the blessings and the calling that I share with y'all today is a bit more extravagant than most of us wake up thinking. I don't get up naturally thinking that I've got the same blessing of Abraham on my life. It takes, it takes God's help for me to see my life with that level of weight. Your life is bigger than your life. Your life is bigger than your life. Have y'all ever seen when a stone gets thrown into the river or lake and there's this ripple effect? A lot of us, we just think of our life as being that first drop. Clunk, that's our life. But that's not true. There's a ripple effect to your life. Your life will make an impact way greater than we normally think of it. And Jesus is the one that can help us. He's the one that can help us see ourselves the way God sees us. He's the one that is able for us to, to see our life with the same value that God sees on our life. He will teach you how to walk in that firstborn anointing, how to handle that double portion that God has given all of us, how to steward that abundance that God has placed in your life. Jesus will teach you. He says, follow me, and he will do the work. So I'm going to ask us all to stand. I'm going to pray two prayers, one by myself, and the other one I'm going to ask you guys to repeat after me. I'm going to ask for the prayer team to get in position because we're about to close out. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you open all of our eyes to how blessed we are. Lord, I pray, Lord, for you to, to allow for us to see just how abundant our life really is, God. Forgive us for not seeing and understanding just how blessed we are and not being grateful for all that you've given us, God, and not, and not fulfilling the responsibility and the requirement for what we've been blessed with, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that there's no condemnation to anyone that's in here, but our eyes are open to the responsibility that is on our life as the body of Christ, as people who are blessed, as people who've been given more than enough. God, I pray that you would lead us to step into our, our role, to step into this blessing of Abraham, to not just be blessed, but to be a blessing, to be generous with what you've given us, and to be good stewards of the wealth that you've entrusted into our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, this next prayer is going to give everybody a chance to connect with Jesus, to confess him as Lord, and to give him access to your life in a way that will start to slowly but surely change the way you see yourself, the way you see your life, the way you see the legacy that God has called you to. Repeat these words after me. Say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins 
and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let's all say amen. And let's just look up a sound of thanksgiving, of faith to Jesus. This is to Jesus. Guys, if you said yes to the Lord Jesus, I want to congratulate you. This team here is our prayer team, and they're here to pray for whoever needs prayer of any kind. So if it's salvation-related, if you need healing, if there's just something going on in your life that you want to open up and share with, this team loves God, and they love you, and they're here to pray for you before you leave. So please uh, stop by any of them before you walk out if you need prayer. If you want to get more connected to the church, then text the word BELONG to 77411. It's a real easy way to connect with us. You can also come to Next Steps. We start in about six minutes. So uh, get through and go upstairs if you would like to be at Next Steps with us. I'm leading today. And we're just going to talk about the vision of the church and how you can be involved. You can hear about what we're about. And then you can go home and decide if this is a place for you. So there's no pressure. But we would love to meet you and shake your hand. That's at 1 o'clock. And then lastly, if you want to give, thank you in advance. You can give by texting Nashville Life to that same number, 77411. Or our finance team can serve you in the lobby. We've got a beautiful day outside. My prayer is that you go out there and enjoy it. Let God continue to bless you. And I hope to see you all next week for part two of our Legacy Series. I love you and have a good one.